Hey, family. Welcome back to the Marketplace Podcast. I'm your host, Priest Willis, and this is episode number 103. Today, I'm joined with Corey Hale. Corey is the CEO of Culture Bank, which is redefining business news for minorities. She's the CEO covering the intersection between business, technology, and innovation. She was raised in investment banking while working at UBS internationally and Goldman Sachs in the States. She's also the first black woman to anchor a daily news show from the New York Stock Exchange. Previously, she produced TV for a number one business news network on CNBC's top-rated show Squawk on the Street and Squawk Alley. Prior to joining CNBC, she was an international producer for Bloomberg TV and a financial correspondent for TheStreet.com. As a board member for Brooklyn Center for the Performing Arts, she's proud to be part of a generation of emergent arts supporters. Without further ado, here's my amazing guest, Corey Hale. How did you find out about Culture Banks? You know, this is interesting. So I had, so it's interesting. So I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Jason Maiden came out. Him and I have... That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nike Global, well, used to be with Nike, started his own shoe, Super Rogue. So um, Jason Maiden comes out. He's in Raleigh. Him and I had already talked previously. So we're just kind of meeting face to face for the first time. I go back. I'm doing some research because now he's going to be on the podcast. And for some reason, as I'm going through Forbes and other stuff about him, I just came across Culture Bank. And now I remember you from Cheddar. I remember you from CNBC and all that other stuff. But I'm like, wait a minute. So she has and I'm I'm putting the two pieces together and I'm like, this is really cool because in terms of black news, black financial news, that is. And let me be more specific. I mean, it's you know, you guys even go deeper than that. I don't want to put you in this this bucket, but I know you're trying to go after an audience. But um, I just you know, most people think of black enterprise to some degree. Right. I was actually just meeting with Black Enterprise last night because they're getting ready to do a story about me and Culture Bank. Oh, see, super cool. Yeah, I know Alfred and a couple guys over there. So I'm like, hey, this is really cool. So I got the digging in. I read some of your articles. One of the articles that caught my attention, of course, was when you talked about Amazon and Apple bringing um, their headquarters and all that good stuff to Raleigh because I'm based in Raleigh. So it just kind of unraveled from there. And I'm like, I have to talk to her. So Perfect. Well, I'm glad then you were able to like find us. And I mean, that partnership with Forbes has definitely been very good for my company. It's opened up a lot of doors. It's gotten the attention of a lot of very big companies and even ruffled some billionaires feathers the wrong way. (laughs) No, I see you have a lot of content out there. It's funny because um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but moguldom. So I actually reached out to them and I'm like, hey, you know, this is great content. I read some stuff from Corey on here. Um, if you're ever interested, I'd, I'd love to put some stuff out. And they hit me right back and they said, yeah, we read some of your stuff. I, I try to talk about humanity and tech, which is a little different, a different approach. But so I'm always trying to share that. But I, I just noticed, you know, through my research with you that you have tons of content out there, which I really think is cool. And like I said, you know, there's not a lot of sisters that was on um, financially based channels, sites, um, you know, whatever the case is. So you were familiar from that perspective to begin with. 
Yeah, I'm actually the um, first African-American woman to ever anchor a daily news show from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange in its 225-year history, which when I started doing that in 2016, I'm like, that's crazy that it's taken this long. And then I, because of that CNBC before I went to Cheddar, I like kind of reached out to some of my people at CNBC that I know have been there since the very beginning of that network which was the first network to start doing any sort of news programming uh, live from a trading floor. And they're like, yeah, like there's never been an anchor. Wow. Like occasionally they throw a reporter there, but no one that's like sitting on the desk every day interviewing people. And I'm like, well, who would have thought? <laughs> You're like, I'm breaking barriers on accident yeah. for, you know. Yeah, this is a completely like on accident, not the plan. Um, it wasn't a plan to break a barrier, but it was a plan of mine when I got out of investment banking, mm. specifically to get into business news, to be um, to be what I didn't have when I was an investment banker, which was a reflection mm. of myself in business content. And I remember, so at the time, um, quick background, I started out as an international investment banker for a Swiss bank in London. Um, and that bank was called UBS. And then I came back to the States and I worked for Goldman Sachs for several years. And it was at Goldman where really this idea came to me um, because at the time my desk was under one of the TVs on the floor. And just like most sort of financial um, firms or really a lot of businesses in general, when they do have their TVs on, it's turned to one of the major financial mm-hmm. news networks like CNBC or Bloomberg or Fox Biz. And I just remember looking up at the screen one day and being like, I can't relate to any of this. And I actually work in this industry. Mm. All of these people look like me. None of these people know my community, know, you know, what intrinsically like matters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a voice said to me, you should do this. And I just <laughs> laughed it off and was like, Absolutely not. first of all, I don't know anything about media. I don't know anything about news. And from what I do kind of know about that industry, people don't really make a lot of money. <laughs> right. So like, None of those things in my mind would be a reason that I would go into this field. Like that's absurd. It's ridiculous. And I kind of just went about my business and then decided that I was going to, I was actually in the process of applying to graduate school to business school and decided that I would apply to one journalism school. And if I got into what I thought would be the best journalism school in the country, then I would go because that would be a sign. And so I did get in and then I didn't go. I deferred my acceptance and stayed (laughs) at Goldman for another year because I was sure it was a mistake. Mm. It had to be like there was no reason that they would allow me into Syracuse's, you know, pristine new house school of communication. Like I have no reason to be in this program. So you're like, and why? Why would I even take the time to go out there? Because once they find out this is all just a mix up, I gotta leave anyways. Yeah, I knew that they, were, and then I was shocked too because I just knew at best I might get waitlisted. Like that was seriously like my best mm-hmm. projection. Is I would be waitlisted for the university, and I say, "Yeah, you know, Corey, give yourself a pat on the back. You tried. You gave your best effort." And then um, I decided <laughs> to go. And from there, I mean, the rest is kind of history. But I'll briefly tell you that history, which is 
I kind of just was always super duper um, driven. And even before I left Goldman, I met with a guy who was an editor. I mean, Bloomberg has a ton of editors, but he's one of the editors on the print side of Bloomberg. And I emailed him and he was a new house alum. And I said, hey, I'm getting ready to leave Goldman. They have no idea I'm leaving. But when I get out, I want to work in Bloomberg TV. Can you help me get a job like a year and a half from now? <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> you just know that like, this is where I want to be. And I'm starting now. <laughs> and I'm not crazy. Like You've been emailing me at my Goldman email. It's like, I really work there. It's really what I do. But this is my plan. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I'll help you. And I was like, perfect. So that's how I got into the industry. And I should really say from there, the kind of the rest is history. And I spent time working at Bloomberg, actually working a terrible shift, working overnight, producing TV, live TV for Europe. So all the production sat here in New York in Midtown and the actual anchors and the crew, uh, they were in London. Mm. And so I would do that working overnight. And then during the day, I worked as a correspondent for the street.com, which is actually right across from the New York Stock Exchange. And I remember when I would go in there and I would always be super tired because I only slept like four hours a night for a year. And I said, gosh, I I, got to be getting closer to like reaching what at the time I thought was my ultimate goal, which was to be able to be down on the floor of the exchange. I was like, oh, I'm right across the street. I got to figure out a way. But from there, I went to CNBC because an uh, executive producer saw some of my videos from the street, found out I was also producing live TV. I was like, hey, why don't you come over to CNBC? So I spent two years there producing for their top rated shows, Squawk on the Street and Squawk Alley. And while I was producing there, I, one of the guests that I used to book to come on the show was this guy, very quirky individual named John Steinberg, who at the time was the COO and president of BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. And he was just one of the regular mini guests that we had on the show any given day and kind of developed a relationship with him. And he went over to the Daily Mail. And after that, he kind of reached out and said, I'm starting this company with this crazy name, Cheddar. Um, <laughs> and I, which, of course, I do like most people's like a double take like what? Yeah, I I mean, come on. I mean, when somebody's just talking to you about starting and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about starting this company and it's called Cheese. Why don't you join me? It's like, that. I, yeah. what? Okay, that's odd. And you also have no <laughs> TV experience. I mean, BuzzFeed isn't a media company. Right. And you basically do advertising and sales within the company. Like You have nothing to do with the actual content. So like... In a perfect world, that's what I'm saying. Like, none of it makes sense. Like, why would I go do this? Like, the people that created Cheddar, like, it's amazing that the company is successful. Like, because these people have no background in this to make this, you know, as great as it is. But that's sometimes Um, why it works so magically, right? I mean, they don't know what rules not to break. And sometimes we get boxed in so much by these, these rules that kind of don't exist, I guess, within the media world even, right? Yeah, no, exactly. And it worked magically for them. And it is working magically for them. And that's exactly like everything that any of the major broadcasters or even print outlets would be like, no, you don't do that. Or that's taboo. It's kind of like for them as these outsiders, it's like, well, first of all, we don't know about the rules. And more importantly, we don't even care. 
Right. Like we care about doing this thing and we'll do whatever we need to figure out how to make it work. And so that's exactly, um, you know, what they did. And then I came on as their second business news anchor and it was just really fascinating. At the time that I joined, there were maybe like employee number 20. And by the time I left, they had well over a hundred employees. And it was like, whoa, like we really did like build up an actual company. And from then I just kind of knew that I thought once I reached in my mind, when I left Goldman, like this job of doing business news from the New York stock exchange had come true. Mm. And it was like, this is what I'm doing. And the more and more I was in it, the more and more restless my spirit felt because I still wasn't doing ultimately what I set out to do, which was to impact minority communities. I was giving them a voice, yes, to some degree because I was there, but I wasn't actually making the news resonate with them. I was basically doing a younger scale down version of CNBC. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it does, it, it certainly starts with, and, you know, I pointed this out at the beginning, to see you on there. So I'm 44, and I've been interested in finances for a very long time, and I talked about also that the first place that I recognized, you know, in fact, I started teaching myself how to read stocks and all that stuff. I used to get up in the morning, go to Walgreens, and this is at a time where they used to have the books sitting right out on a shelf, and you could read, and nobody would bother you. You could just fiddle through the magazine and I didn't want to necessarily, I, I didn't necessarily have the money all the time just to spring five bucks for each, each magazine is as cheap as that may sound. Um, but it taught me a lot in terms of reading, um, stocks and understanding home buying and, you know, not being intimidated by purchasing life insurance, a lot of things that black folks culturally don't do. And here you are, um, as an African-American woman on TV, reporting that very news, the news that can be first intimidating to people. So I think it was a much bigger step than, you know, kind of just you reporting the news. It, 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 it makes people sit up a little bit and pay attention. I'll say that. Yes. Well, thank you. And, and that was definitely exactly, you know, what I wanted and was what was super important. And I think that with that, you know, there's only so much change, though, you can do when you're in front of the camera. Right. Uh, there's an entire team as a former producer, um, someone who basically feels like they've done every part of the live side of TV. Um, I know that the, the majority of the power is really behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's really where you get to impact change and what is being portrayed. And I thought, you know, at this point, like I have the business experience. I have the media experience. I definitely have way more credentialed knowledge um, and expertise in the people that are running this company. And if they're able to do this, like it's going to be up to someone like me to really change the trajectory of minority communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't step out and do this on my own, then when will there ever be something out there? And I love black enterprise, but as I tell people all the time, Culture Banks, you know, is in this amazing sweet spot of being the perfect amalgamation of Bloomberg and Black Enterprise that's never existed, where we create stories that are market-driven, business, finance, tech, innovation, news, but with a culturally attuned voice. So we don't do profile pieces about individuals, right? We, we occasionally talk about, we do talk about entrepreneurs, 
uh, Jason Maiden, who's a wonderful entrepreneur in his super mm-hmm. company. But we talk about how these African-American leaders are really trailblazing in their own lanes and doing very unique, innovative businesses. And also about how Black people as a culture actually create these trends and how they impact stocks and how they impact these major companies around the world. Mm -hmm. And no one else was covering that. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And even with Forbes, where you'll find longer versions of our stories and what I put on Culture Banks, um, and I talked a little bit about ruffling a billionaire's feather the wrong way. Well, that billionaire would be none other than Elon Musk. (laughs) Uh, As I like to say, he had time to be bothered, so he felt that he would hop into my Twitter feed. More power to you, first of all, Elon Musk, as a very busy man, I'm sure you are, for, you know, actively seeing, like, what's being put out there about your company. Good for you. Right, right. Hey, if you got your hands on a lot of pots, like, you better stay on top of it. Take your hand off one, it's going to start bubbling over and going crazy. (laughs) That's right. So you never know. But (laughs) essentially, at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of June, he had a shareholder meeting um, just talking about Tesla, what was going on with the company. And the main thing that people took away, journalists, reporters took away, was that during that shareholder meeting, he said that Tesla was on track to reach 5,000 cars a week um, for producing its Model 3. And right now the company is around, I think, like 3,500. And so every outlet, every news place, that's all they covered. Tesla's on track to reach 5,000 cars a week by the end of June. Well, at Culture Banks, as I said, we take those same market-driven stories, but we make them relevant to a Black demographic and an international demographic in terms of Africa. Mm-hmm. And so that particular story, now, I don't know the inner workings of electric vehicles, but specifically, I know that cobalt is one of the main ingredients for electric vehicles. And really, it's the main ingredient in the majority of the technology that we use, specifically something that most people have, which is a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hmm, that's very interesting. But I know that one of the also main problems that Tesla has had in this production life cycle is being able to get through the bottleneck issues um, of the production chain, specifically around the battery delays. And and let's just take a quick step back. So cobalt, you mean the language cobalt, correct? No, cobalt, the actual metal. Oh, okay. Oh, the actual metal. Got it. Got it. Actual, oh. Yeah, the actual metal from wow. the earth. Wow. Wow. I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so cobalt is actually the main component of smartphone batteries. Apple is actually the number one user company the number one company user of cobalt in the world. I did not know that. That's amazing. About 25% of the world's cobalt supply in their products. Holy cow. Yes. So the story, instead of it being, hey, yeah, Tesla says it's going to reach 5,000 cars by the, a week by the end of June, Culture Bank said, okay, well, Tesla may actually run into a cobalt speed bump. And let me tell you why. You know, Tesla might not reach 5,000. And so pretty much broke down in the story exactly what I just told you. You know, they're they're going to have to make sure they have enough cobalt sourced for them, for their company and for their mission. 
But of course, you have to fight mm-hmm. off. We can start with step one, which is you have to fight off all the other automakers, right, that are all getting into making electric vehicles because they all need cobalt, too. Like a battery is a battery. You know? and, and Apple. <laughs> now you're fighting one of the right. biggest tech companies. And then I say, then you got to fight not just Apple, right? You have to fight Samsung. You have to fight all the tech companies, right? Because the basic of it all is a battery is a battery the same stuff that goes into making a certain type of battery it doesn't matter who the company is right like they need the same components and then after you fight off so after you fight off the automaker step one then you gotta really you know fight off the tech companies because they're using it way more than the automakers are and then let's just say you win right at both of those well then you gotta play nice with china because china actually owns 60 percent of the world's cobalt reserves. Wow. You got to get in good with them. We're not doing a good job of that right now. We No, <laughs> and, and Tesla definitely isn't because, you know, then you got the tariff situation with input yep. and that, like there's a whole lot of other things, right? That you're going to have to really sort of massage that relationship with China. Yeah, that's one of the things I was alluding to was the tariff situation. Like we're not, we, we need to be making nice. Yeah. A little and bit. So you, you got a lot of other things and the really the genesis behind that story was less about Tesla in terms of its exact use of cobalt, because I, at the time I didn't know how much cobalt Tesla actually used in its batteries. I mean, no one knows because they don't actually say um, how much cobalt that they use, but I know that it's in there. And my real um, reason for the story was really to talk about the, the crush on this metal out of Africa and how many companies are vying for this metal. Um, and the importance of it is I like to think of it, the modern day vibranium um, mm. because it is used in so many different things. And what happens when one company kind of feels like it's more entitled to it and what happens to, you know, it, it being pulled out of Africa, what happens to these economies, Elon Musk somehow, I have no idea how saw the story and decided to directly respond and told me that um, they only use 3% of cobalt currently in their batteries and they, for their next generation batteries, uh, they are planning on completely phasing out cobalt. Well, that, of course, blew up my Twitter account. It was very good for the company, very good publicity. Um, but it also spoke to what the entire reasoning behind this media company and what we do, that it resonates and it's been resonating with people. And it's not just about it being, yeah, it's told through the lens of black professionals, but it's really an inclusive sort of company. And the content that we put out is not just for black people, but it's to understand it from a different perspective. And I think out of all the business news outlets and media outlets across the world that covered that shareholder meeting that Elon could have said anything about, I'm sure ones that he has great relationships with, it was this media, this small media company run out of Brooklyn that he decided to take an interest in. Yeah. You know that, and that's something I was going to say earlier was that <clears throat> make no mistake about it. I mean, you do, because I, I like to play on culture bank and how, you know, even how you spell bank B A N X. And just, I understand it's kind of for the culture in a sense, but the black community is so woven into the financial system. This is, this is part of what frustrates me a little bit about 
let me just be frank. This is partly what frustrates me about black folks in general, though the divide, I believe, is somewhat closing. The gap is still very wide between the wealth and just the understanding of, you know, finances. Um, but yet to be such extreme consumers and we don't go out and consume information like you just shared, like the cobalt piece for me was mind blowing. I'm going to go out and actually read that article. One of the ones that I read that goes back to your statement about, yeah, we're sort of telling it through the lens of black folks or African-Americans, but we're not necessarily trying to make that uh, the end of the story, if you will. There's a good one that I didn't consider was about, you know, as we listen to everybody that talk about talks about AI or artificial intelligence, uh, you wrote an article, which I didn't think about, was how artificial intelligence was supposed to be this wave that was taking over the trading community. And then all of a sudden, you know, Goldman Sachs, I believe it is, maybe I'm wrong, uh, decided, you know what, maybe we should reverse this. Or was it Credit, Credit Susie said, maybe we should reverse this. Let's let's invest more into humans to actually do this trading, which that was a fascinating article to me. And again, I mean, you can understand where the culture is at, but, you know, there's a bigger picture there, right? Yeah, there is a bigger picture. So it's kind of um, a couple of different things are there. And the bank that's actually deciding to double down on, on human traders is actually Credit Suisse, which is mm. held by um, a black man. It's another uh, Swiss bank. And the fact that there are, I mean, right now, like, you know, with technology, you can trade from anywhere, any time of day or night. So you don't really need actual physical flesh and blood to be present in order to execute trades, but it's those bigger, more complex trades, right? That algorithmically aren't as easy to just write out on the back end and code out. Like you actually do need people to think through it. And right now that part of the technology isn't in place to make sense. So it's about finding like those gaps sort of in the industry of where there's still space to make money and also where having a human involved is going to be way more highly favored than having a machine. Mm -hmm. And Credit Suisse, like, you know, I applaud them for finding ways, first of all, for their business, for their trading business, um, to make money in, in a place where everything seems to be pushing towards the quant sort of high frequency trading. And more specifically with the AI, we actually did another story too about and we are doing a research report around this as well, around the broader landscape of artificial intelligence. And one example is when it comes to bank lending practices. As time and history has shown us, Black people and minorities in general are disproportionately denied loans for mortgages, for cars, for credit cards at a much higher rate than other races. Mm -hmm. And when Low AI into that, which is inherently biased. And you have to think, how does the system inherently become anything? Well, it inherently becomes that way based on the creators of the system. And what happens if banks now start bringing AI into lending practices because they have a whole other side of regulations, federal regulations, anti-discrimination regulations that you know they're going to be held to and they actually don't know how deep the dark side of the web when it comes to AI goes and how these systems are actually 
categorically coming to the conclusions that they are. So if they start incorporating, you know, this into their daily lending practices throughout their companies, what happens then to these at-risk groups? Mm, that is so deep. That is that, that, that's. Super- I'm sorry, that's probably a whole nother, That's a whole nother podcast. Wow, Just <laughs> that really is. Thank you to our sponsor, Thrive Theme, for today's episode. Thrive Themes has blazingly fast WordPress templates and plugins built to get more traffic, more subscribers, more clients, and more customers for you. Thrive Themes makes more than just themes. The company is well known for its powerful array of marketing tools and plugins for WordPress, such as Thrive Leads, Thrive Content Builder, and Thrive Headline Optimizer. I use them and I've created a site and a plugin for a site called I want to be an affiliate.com literally in a matter of 30 minutes. I downloaded WordPress, plugged in Thrive Themes, and it worked fine. Go into today's episode, click on the link that says Thrive Themes, and you'll be taken to their site. You definitely want to give them a try. Thrive Themes, a blazingly fast WordPress template and plugin for your site. It's, it's, you know, in one hand, it's, you know, it's kind of invigorating, but on the other hand, as you pointed out, it's scary because you don't know how far this, this rabbit hole goes in a sense. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and, and who's accountable at the end of it, even when you find the end, um, what, so let me ask some very practical things and maybe some things that are, you know, I think are here to stay. Maybe some people will debate. I know, cryptocurrency is a is a hot thing right now um so i'm less concerned about bitcoin and its drop and i think it'll come back i think we're going to see a further drop before it'll start coming back in my personal opinion but i'm I'm less concerned about that i i'm more interested in blockchain the technology itself where i think the the real prize is at but i you know i read an article in forbes which we've talked about and there's a particular quote from you that talks about Goldman Sachs. So this is where I mixed up the story with yeah. the AI piece where you're saying, um, where you say that they're talking about Goldman Sachs is proceeding cautiously and will not trade actual Bitcoin initially because I'm sure because of the volatility that we just talked about. Instead, the bank will use its own money to trade Bitcoin futures contracts for clients. It also will trade non-deliverable forward futures where trades will be settled in the regulated currency as quoted. So, do you think cryptocurrency um, is here to stay and the fact that Goldman Sachs and others are getting in truly does add legitimacy to this digital coin? Well, I'm going to start out by saying I am by no way means a cryptocurrency expert or a blockchain expert. I do think, however, that blockchain is going to revolutionize so many industries for what I think can and should be uh, for the better specifically in regards to Goldman Sachs opening up their uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin desk here in New York City, I think it's a major step for cryptocurrencies to have a bank backing it, especially if you think of other major banks um, and their sort of stance on this currency. I think of a CEO uh, like Jamie Dimon of JP Morgan, who essentially laughed off cryptocurrencies two years ago as, you know, a mere right. passing fad. That's a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a passing fad that's just going to you know wither away with time. However, there's so much unknown 
um, in this space and also sort of blockchain technology. And if you kind of go back to the genesis of blockchain and why it was created, it was really created to help um, to help drug dealers sort of clean their money. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot being done on the dark web. Um, right, a lot, and that, but that's why actual, you know, these why blockchain kind of became, I mean, blockchain was created years and years ago, the actual technology itself, but cryptocurrencies, I mean, that's really what it was initially for, which is why you could understand companies like actual regulated banks would be like, no, no, no. You know, we don't want any parts of that business. Obviously we got our hands in enough other stuff that we're trying to, you know, make sure we're clean in that we're not going to dump, jump into something that we know exactly what goes on and why it was created. Now, I will say most things that are created, that doesn't mean that's going to be the final purpose for those. And I think Goldman Sachs being definitely a leader, um, in my opinion, and yes, I might be slightly biased, the best firm on the street. Um, I would say that they are taking the absolute step in the right direction. They've always been a leader in the industry and you will see other banks start to follow their lead. Not to mention their head of technology, excuse me, I think he is now the CFO. At the time when I was at Goldman Sachs, he was the CTO of the firm. Marty Chavez is probably one of the most intelligent individuals running technology at any bank or any company out there. Like this is a man who really gets it and really understands the space. And if Marty is signing off that, hey, this is how we can start to get into this and let's see how this goes. Yeah. Then it's a good thing. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's really good stuff. So, you know, listen, you've been really gracious with your time. I, you know, I really want to ask, where do you see ultimately, I, I know Culture Bank is still very young, but where do you guys want to take the company? What is this, what does your media landscape look like? Maybe at least for the next two years. Well, the media landscape, first of all, is, is amazing. And at Culture Banks, we are really, as I say, creating a media company of the future. The sort of stuff that we're doing and how we are going to be expanding is what you're going to see media companies doing three, four years down the road when we'll probably be on to doing something else. Um, specifically, we are right now creating content specifically for Black professionals, but Eventually, the company will scale to represent other minority groups that will sit on their own platforms and also have um, a bigger international presence. We do cover um, some stories out of Africa, specifically around CBX International, but Africa mm. is a huge continent, right? It needs its own platform that is all about the business news going on within that country. And then also re repeating this model for Europe and its minority groups out there as well. And ultimately, culture banks will grow into a, a wire service, much like uh, the Bloomberg wires, much like the Dow Jones wires. And you will see breaking headlines. But instead of a headline, Goldman Sachs opens up, you know, Bitcoin trading desk, you're going to see something that would say like Goldman Sachs Bitcoin trading desk, and it'll have an extra sentence on there that makes it specifically culturally attuned to all of these other ethnic groups. Now, let, let me ask this, it, you know, and a lot of other platforms are doing this now, so this isn't necessarily new, but it is interesting to hear other underrepresented voices, which we, we've already discussed is still partly in the black community. Are you going to open up 
Culture Bank's platform so that other bloggers, authors, people that are interested in finance, but they just don't necessarily have the platform. They don't have the the means to get their content out there. Are you going to have places where there's like an open forum for people to come in and have those discussions and share their own personal writings? Um, right now, we aren't going to be doing that. Uh, we do sometimes have outside contributors that do um, bring information from their perspective to the platform, but it will probably never be like a discussion sort of blog. It's definitely more on the harder side of news and media. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't allow for comments and things like that because this is more of an educational site. That's why we keep our story short. They're never going to be, you know, take you more than four minutes, two to four minutes most to read through a story because we want to inform our community. We want to get people interested. We want to engage them so that then they go back and say, gosh, right. I think I want to know more about this or how can I dive in deeper into whatever particular subject? What did you wish that you've seen out there? I guess you're doing it now in a sense, but when you were in the finance community, I imagine a uh, community that is, I imagine when you were in London, you were in Canary Wharf, uh, that whole financial district area, and then coming over here uh, to the stock exchange. What do you, and you were, we already talked about, you were partly a trailblazer on the news, you know, as an anchor reporting financial news. What do you wish you had seen from a content side so that the black community would get engaged about finances and not just about your standard, hey, here's how you read a, a, you know, a ticker tape, but get more in depth about understanding the business and the workings behind a business like what we talked about with Elon Musk, Cobalt, Tesla. What did you wish you've seen out there that people should start grabbing on to? I wish I would have seen black leaders within companies mm. shaping the business and being unapologetically black. And an example I can use of that is Twitter's head of content. Uh, I think it's head of content partnerships, Kay Madati. This is somebody who many people don't know. I didn't really know him either, but Twitter's video is a very big thing for them. And four years ago, when the World Cup was going on, Twitter didn't even have video on their platform. Mm -hmm. And now they do. And that's been a major shift. And you think about companies like Facebook, like they weren't doing video four years ago. People weren't able to go live, that sort of stuff. But seeing the actual leaders, the black leaders within those companies, and not the ones that are always paraded out there in front of you. You always hear about Ken Shonal, former American Express CEO. You hear about Ursula Burns, former Xerox CEO. Now she's on the board of Uber. You hear about Melody Hobson. Yeah, yeah, we get them. They ran the company. What about the actual leaders, the decision makers that are running these individual units that are completely shifting revenue strategies for companies and are building them up? And why isn't there an outlet out there that is being unapologetically black and saying, hey, these great people within these companies are completely shifting the dynamics of how these organizations run, how they operate, and also taking a, what I like to call, this is the culture side, taking a um, lifestyle entertainment approach of saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, Rihanna went out and decided to drag Snap, I think it was, for putting up that stupid game, which was referencing yeah. um, Chris Brown beating her and how I saw the, and how the company stock dropped about 7% that day. Like, why are we talking about that? 
again, I, I hate keeping repeating myself here, but it's amazing how much black people have woven themselves into um, the culture. I mean, you know, there's so much investment in terms of us being consumers and, you know, we're, we're sitting on boards and we're, we are in these environments yet there's still, and there's so much more information that that's out there than we even had 10 years ago. And yet people seem to still be trapped by what's being done. So that's why I can really appreciate culture bank and the stuff that you guys and the stories that you're bubbling up to the top. It, I mean, it really, really is good reading. Um, I, I enjoy reading thoroughly. So please share with people, um, you know, how they can get in touch, how they can read all your content out there, starting with Culture Bank. Feel free to, to share whatever you like at this point. Yes. So definitely check out our website. It's culturebanks.com. Uh, and if you want to see just some of the stories, follow what I'm doing. You can also follow us at Culture Banks. You can follow me at Corey Hale. Sometimes my stuff is a little funny. And I also want to say we include music with every single article that we cover on our platform mm. as another way to really tie in the culture uh, to business news and make it more more fun and more relative. And I think that's something that just makes us super duper fresh. And as the young kids like to say, it's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Corey, it's, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us. Thank you so much. Now, that is the kind of news that I love listening to. Corey, what she's building at Culture Bank is pretty amazing. I mean, the way we have information today, it's almost like it's thrown up on you. Hers seems to be very calculated and very consistent throughout the different articles. I want you guys to go check out culturebanks.com. Check out C-U-L-T-U-R-E-B-A-N-X.com. Corey Hale, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I hope you guys got something out of it today. I know that I did. You heard me learning about Cobalt over in Africa. Please join us next Sunday for another exciting guest. Please leave your feedback on iTunes, other Stitcher Radio, wherever we may be. I look forward to sharing another great guest with you guys. Hope you learned something. Thank you again so much for taking this journey with me. Until next week, signing off. the best ever my style is impetuous my defense is impregnable and i'm just ferocious <laughs>